You know, one of the most highly anticipated movies of 2020 was because they've all moved except for Wonder Woman 84, which is still on Christmas Day. But that will be moving too uh, too soon. I absolutely guarantee it. But at any rate, wouldn't it be great if it didn't? At any rate, one of the most anticipated movies, though, was the James Bond film No Time to Die. That is a movie I think a lot of us, especially like Robert Meyer Burnett, had been extremely excited about. The trailers came out for it. The trailers looked fantastic. I thought the trailers for No Time to Die looked great. They put out that Billie Eilish song. Now, one of the big question marks about the James Bond franchise the last number of years has been who's going to be James Bond next? Because we all know it's it's been well publicized. This is going to be Daniel Craig's final appearance as James Bond. There have been a lot of different reports. There have been some people screaming and insisting that it was going to be Idris Elba. That kind of came and went. Then some people thought it was going to be, oh, who did they say it was going to be? There's been some Henry Cavill discussions. I would I would love a Henry Cavill James Bond, to be honest with you, but it doesn't have to be. There's a lot of other guys. Recently, there was a report going around that they had already decided that the next James Bond was going to be Tom Hardy. They also said in that report that they were going to announce Tom Hardy around the time in December, November, December, when James Bond No Time to, to Die launches, which of course was ridiculous. They're not going to distract from the movie and the current James Bond by announcing a new James Bond while they have a Bond in theaters. Well, Barbara Broccoli, the producer of the James Bond films, she's actually come out and kind of put it to rest. She says, as a matter of fact, we have not yet picked a James Bond. A number of people like myself, I've kind of thought they probably already had James Bond picked. They just weren't going to talk about who it's going to be probably for another for until at least four or five, six months, maybe even a year after the new James Bond film plays. But according to Barbara Broccoli, they have not selected a new James Bond yet. And she says they don't have any intention of even focusing on finding the new Bond until No Time to Die is done its run. This is what she said in her interview. This is Barbara, Barbara Broccoli, again, the producer of the James Bond film. She says, I always say you can only be in love with one person at a time. I don't know if that's true, but once the films, because I was in high school, uh, once the films come out, then some time will pass and then we'll have to get on to the business of the future. But for now, we just cannot think about anything beyond Daniel. Once again, I always say you can only be in love with one person at a time. Once the films come out, then some time will pass and then we will have to get on to the business of the future. But for now, we just cannot think of anything beyond Daniel. So, if Barbara, the producer of the James Bond films, is to be believed, which is not 100% we can believe her, but if she is to be believed at this point, while they may have a bunch of different names lined up that they're considering, they're not really devoting a lot of their attention right now to picking the next James Bond. According to her, they've got plenty of time to worry about that later, and they're just focused on this movie right now, how they're going to get this movie to audiences. Will they have to push it again after the most recent push? That's where it's at. I still contend there is a possibility that maybe deep down they already really have picked one, whether it's Henry Cavill or Tom Hardy or whoever else. Um, but who knows? It's probably the case that she's telling the truth. Probably they haven't done it yet because they do have a world of time.
They have a world of time. That's actually not a bad name for a James Bond movie, a world of time. They have a world of time. They have a lot of time to figure this out. Question is for you guys. What do you think about what she had to say? Do you believe her? Do you think they actually have not yet picked the new James Bond and they're actually going to wait quite some time until after the new movie comes out to select it? Or do you think they've already picked one? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. Speaking of movies that have been moved out of their 2020 and gone even farther, some have moved off of their release dates in theaters and gone straight to streaming. The most recent high-profile one of those is, of course, the Pixar movie Soul. You know, Soul was supposed to come out on November 20th just until a few days ago. It was only a few days ago. You know, that they were still advertising on the NBA finals, on TV, you know, spending big dollars marketing and promoting and raising awareness that Soul was hitting theaters on November 20th. And then, of course, unsurprisingly, the announcement came that they were moving it to Disney Plus on December 25th for no extra charge for Disney Plus subscribers. It's going to be a free thing. Sounds like they learned a lesson from all the backlash they got for that stunt they pulled with Mulan. And so we're on to it there. Now, I've been a little bit pessimistic about soul not pessimistic as far as is this movie going to be good it's pixar i assume it's going to be great but i've been a little bit pessimistic about what it's 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 tough to say box office now because it's not going theatrical but let's go with those terms what its box office potential was i wasn't completely sure the way the movie had been marketed up until this point that a lot of families were going to feel comfortable taking kids to it right away because the marketing for Soul, particularly like the first trailer they put out, was very heady, very existential, um, very much about, I mean, it's it's a movie about this musician who dies and what happens when you're dead, you know, that sort of thing. And again, the trailers for itself came across as very existential and kind of heady, which to adult film fans like me, it's like, oh my God, I cannot wait to see this. But would a lot of parents think, oh yeah, I got to take little Billy to go see this. I don't know. Well, yesterday I got an email uh, in my account from Disney marketing saying that they had just launched, they were about to launch a new trailer for soul. Brand new trailer had come out. And I'm going to say this, as far as the marketability of this movie and getting families feeling like that. This is something we can take the kids to. This was the best piece of marketing they put out yet. This new trailer for Soul felt like a Pixar family film. The other one really didn't feel that way. This one did. Now, it's still very much exactly what we thought it was going to be. I mean, it's the movie about this musician who's got dreams. He dies, finds himself in the afterlife. But instead of going to the afterlife, he ends up in something they call the great before where souls get their personality. And he's trying to get back to his life on Earth because he was about to get some kind of big break and breaking out in music and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, the trailer was great on several levels because just as a trailer – it was fun. It had energy. That existential nature was still there, but it wasn't played up nearly as heavily as the previous marketing had. It gave us more of an insight as to what is this movie going to be about. And it was fun. It was fun. And I got to tell you, my pessimism, let's say that, my pessimism about how well will this movie kind of appeal to families, 
a lot of it's been alleviated after this new trailer. I think this new trailer did a much better job and it did so without taking away any of the enthusiasm that I as an adult viewer had from the previous marketing, you know, because even though the previous marketing may not have appealed to families with kids that lot, but appealed to a lot of us who are older and love our Pixar films. I feel like this new one brought and would bring a lot more of those families, you know, families with young kids on board without alienating those of us who really liked what seemed like to be the existential nature of the movie. It's a great trailer. It's a great trailer. Anyway, the question here is, guys, have you had a chance to see this new trailer from Soul? I, I thought it was a really well done, very smart trailer, and I think it's going to get a lot more people excited about than the previous marketing efforts had. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. What are your thoughts? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your opinion there. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them because whenever you come across a big piece of news or a story that you think we should talk about, simply go over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today comes to us from Bill Four. And Bill Four writes, Hey, John and Aaron. Hello there. Did you see, of course, Aaron's not here today. Did you see the cast Adam McKay assembled for his new movie? I think this just might be the most star-studded cast I have ever seen. The movie will star Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett. By the way, that's Oscar winner, Oscar winner, Oscar winner, Oscar winner. Jonah Hill, Oscar nominee. Timothy Chalamet, Oscar nominee. Just to name a few. Personally, this cast list involved tells me it will be great. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, there is a new film from filmmaker Adam McKay, who did The Big Short and did a, a fabulous job on that movie, The Big Short. And it's going to Netflix. Not often you hear me talking about a Netflix original film that I'm excited about. But I was excited about this called Don't Look Up. And if I remember correctly, it's about a couple of astronomers who discover an asteroid heading towards Earth. Anyway, this is what comes to us from the folks at Variety. Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, and Timothy Chalamet will join Jennifer Lawrence in the star-studded cast of Don't Look Up, a new Netflix comedy from Adam McKay. Jonah Hill and Hamish Patel will also star along with uh, Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, and Matthew Perry. As previously announced, Kate Blanchett and Rob Morgan are a part of the cast as well. And again, the basic idea is these two astronomers discover an asteroid that's heading towards Earth. And their now uh, mission to get the word out to everybody. That's kind of what it's about. Now, they announced this project a while ago. And when they announced it, they announced kind of what the premise was. I thought the premise sounded pretty good. It was a pretty good premise already on its own. I liked it. I never would have imagined that we're going to be able to gather this caliber of cast, this might be one of the most impressive casts ever put together. Leonardo DiCaprio, some consider maybe the best actor working today. Now that Daniel Day-Lewis is retired, 
some people, not necessarily me, but some people think Leo's the best actor in the world today. Meryl Streep is the greatest actress of all time. That's on that, that's just beyond refute. There's there's no way you can argue that. You just look at the resume, nothing comes close. Timothy Chalamet is a guy that I've said for a long time, this is the next Daniel Day-Lewis. Timothy Chalamet is the next Daniel Day-Lewis. He's not there yet, but when you look at how young this dude is and already how mind-blowingly good he is, it's frightening to think of what his potential is. Like he, I, I think he is the next Daniel Day-Lewis. Will he get to that level? I don't know. Who knows? Who's to say? I'm not sure. And then, you know, if you take Meryl Streep out of the conversation, Kate Blanchett comes in as maybe the best actress in the world today. If you take Meryl out of the conversation, might be Kate Blanchett. Then you got, I think, two-time Academy Award-nominated actor Jonah Hill in there as well. There's a lot of Oscar stuff in this. And then you pair that all, of course, with Adam McKay, uh, who obviously has a great background in comedy, and there's going to be a comedy aspect to this as well, and then did such a terrific job on The Big Short. The Big Short, to me, was not the best, best movie. It's great. But had to be one of the most difficult movies ever to direct. Like if you remember the big short, that movie was phenomenally, I I have no idea how he directed that. I mean, so he did a great job. I think it's a cool premise, a star started cast. Now, listen, the cast is just the cast. The cast can elevate the movie, but a cast can't make a bad movie, a great movie. It's all going to depend on the script and the story and what Adam McKay decides to do with it. But Hey, adding talent, is never a bad idea. And the talent lined up here, again, is just absolutely mind-boggling right now. Absolutely mind-boggling. You have four Academy Award winners in this thing. Four. In Leo, Street, Blanchett, Lawrence. You've got a couple of other Academy Award nominees, multiple nominees in Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, who will, by the end of his career, have three or four of those Oscars on his mantle as well. This is a coup d'etat, and it's a Netflix movie. It's a Netflix movie. This this isn't a movie that's going to be playing in theater. This is a Netflix movie. And that's why I started off and I let off the top by saying, you know, it's not often then I can talk about being really super excited for a movie that is going to be making its debut on Netflix. Doesn't happen often, but it's happening right now. I love the sound of it. I like the director. One of the most impressive cast ensembles ever in history. Let's see if they all stay on board by the time they start shooting. But right now, this looks like something to really look forward to. Question is, guys, what do you think about the sounds of Don't Look Up? And what do you think about this cast? Jump on down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Reese Williams. And Reese Williams writes, hey, John and team, huge fan of the show and hope you're all doing well. Thank you so much, Reese. I appreciate that. It's been made official that The Boys Season 3 is to start filming in early 2021. The showrunner slash creator of the show, Eric Kripke, who also created and show ran for uh, for a number of years, uh, one of my favorite shows, Supernatural, announced on his Twitter account last night. This is fantastic news with everything that Season 2 has given us, which I love so much. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, it's been made official. Now, they did announce a while ago 
that the boys has officially been given a green light for season three. We've known that for a little while. However, when they made the announcement that the boys had been greenlit for season three, producer Seth Rogen said, have no idea when we're going to be able to shoot it with everything that's going on right now. So we were thrilled that we knew we were going to get a boy season three. We saw the boys season two, which made us even more thrilled to see the boys season three. Hey, guys, if you have not started watching the boys, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's marvelous. Anyway, so we've been thrilled about that. But on this other hand, it's like, yeah, but when are we ever going to get it? Well, we're going to get it sooner than we thought, because you're right. Kripke did get on social media and announce that, in fact, they are going to start shooting. This was the uh, post that Kripke put out. He put this up on his Twitter. Account. He says the boys will return. Season three begins filming in early 2021. You're not effing ready. <laughs> he writes. And then he cause tags everybody. And then he includes a picture of the script for season one for, for season three, episode one. Episode 301, that's how episodes are broken. Season 3 is the first number. 01 is the episode. So season 3, episode 1, called Payback. Payback. Now, you notice that this episode was written by Craig Rosenberg. He also wrote the episode in season 2 with The Whale, which was completely bonkers. Anyway, so what is payback? What does payback mean? Well... Entertainment Weekly went on with that to describe what this is about, because one of the other things we've known about The Boys Season 3 is that Supernatural alum uh, Jensen Ackles was going to be playing the original superhero in that world, Soldier Boy, clearly a Captain America spoof. But anyway, Soldier Boy was going to be the first one, and this directly ties into him. We're not going to have to wait much in season three to see Jensen Ackles in the boys. He's going to be featured in the very first episode of season three. This is what we find out. Payback is actually the name of soldier boys, superhero team payback in the world of our show was the seven before the seven Kripke told entertainment weekly. We will be exploring the history of that team and all of the members in it. So basically you had soldier boy and he had his own team called, Payback, interesting name for a team, and they were basically the original superhero group as well. Now, whether or not they're going to really pull a Captain America and have, you know, Soldier Boy trapped in ice or frozen away in a cryogenic chamber somewhere and he comes back and we see him in modern day, I don't know. It sounds a little bit like we're only going to get Jensen Ackles in the flashback scenes, but basically Kripke goes on to say that Soldier Boy is also going to be used to tell the story about how America got to where it was, the America that we have when the boys season one begins, how did America get to that point? And what were the things going on in America when that was happening? Actually, he says some pretty interesting things. Um, let, let's go in and see what Kripke wrote about this. And he said the following. One of the reasons we're getting into Soldier Boy in season three and that team payback is is we're interested in exploring a little bit of how we got there, Kripke said. Uh, through the history of the soups, we can tell a little bit about the history of America and how we ended up in the current fraught position that we're in. Soldier Boy gives us an opportunity to do that. 
By fraught position, he means our current climate in which people are fighting against white supremacy and systemic racism. Certain politicians like to pitch this somehow idyllic good old days where everything was perfect and calm. That is complete and utter bullshit, Kripke said. It was never that way. So by exploring the history of Vought in the history of America, we get to make some of those points. There was never an America where they say, make America great again. It was always a struggle. That's the point. It's a struggle to make things better. So anyway, we're going to get a lot. So when they first said, and this is why this kind of excites me, when they first announced that Jensen Ackles was coming as Soldier Boy, I was a little bit nervous that it was going to be like a one episode cameo, like a one and done. And again, I still don't know if they're just going to flash back to him throughout the season or if he's going to come up to modern day at some point like a Captain America. But this excites me because it sounds like Soldier Boy is going to be a pivotal character throughout the season. And that kind of excites me. I like the sounds of that. Anyway, guys, question for you is, what do you think about this? It sounds like we might actually get the boy season three in late 2021. If they're going to start shooting in early 2021, that would be fantastic. What do you guys think about this? What do you think of the description that Kripke gave us? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our third and final featured topic here today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Harrison. And Harrison writes, Hello, John. Love the show. Thank you so much, Harrison. Uh, watch it almost every day. I just read via The Hollywood Reporter that Dexter is coming back for a limited series. I love the first three seasons of the show. How do you feel about the show returning? And what did you think of the show when it was on air? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, Dexter, I love Dexter. I absolutely love that show. It was a show... I think it's fair to say that was pretty much unlike any other that we had ever really seen up to that point on big broadcast television, like a show where the main character is a serial killer talking to a figment of his imagination, ghost of his adopted father, Harry, and making up certain sets of rules that allows him to justify to himself that I'm not really the bad guy. I'm not really the bad guy. I just, I just kill people all the time. It was fascinating. It was I remember a friend of mine, a friend of mine, Serena, um, was the first person to tell me about Dexter, and she was really into the show. And I always thought it just kind of looked strange. And then I started watching it, and I loved it. And listen, I know there are a number of people who didn't like the last number of seasons. I personally love the last number of seasons. Like a lot of people, I did not like the way the series ended. Like the ending of the series was very questionable, but I still overall enjoyed the final season. I just didn't like the way it ended. I didn't like the last couple of episodes. A lot of people were on the same boat, but it should be noted that, you know, the showrunner who ran the show, who created and ran the show for the first number of seasons is not the one who finished it, but they are the ones who's coming back to do it again. This is the news that came out. Dexter's coming back. This is from the Hollywood reporter writes the premium cable outlet, which is showtime. Uh, has ordered a 10-episode Dexter limited series that will reunite Michael C. Hall and original showrunner Clyde Phillips, the original showrunner who did the first, I believe, four seasons of Dexter. 
The show will be a continuation of the original eight season series, which ended in 2013 with Hall's Dexter Morgan going on self-imposed exile as a lumberjack and living a solitary life. The production is scheduled to begin early next year for a planned fall of 2021 premiere. Guys, I cannot emphasize this enough. I am so in love with this news. I am so in love with this news for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, because we're getting Dexter. Two, because Michael C. Hall is on board. He's one of the executive producers on this. It's going to be really good to see him back. Three, you got Clyde Phillips, who is, of course, was the showrunner during the highest heyday of the Dexter run, which was the first number of seasons. That's going to excite a lot of people, too. Am I okay with the fact that they're calling it a limited series? Yes, I'm okay with the fact that they're calling it a limited series because being a limited series just means they get the green light and they can always come back and do another one. Uh, what was the one? Uh, was it? What was it? Uh, Something Lies. What was the that that show with? Um, what was my, it? Was the biggest thing won all the awards? My wife was just watching it. Any something, something lies. Big Little Lies. Is that what it was? Big Little Lies? I think it was Big Little Lies. Anyway, yes, DB in the live chat is saying Big Little Lies. So is James Argenda. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies, I also believe, was supposed to be a limited series. I, I think the first season of it, they called it a limited series, but then they just brought it back and did it again. So listen, I'm fine with them bringing back a 10-episode limited series because I believe what that really means is that if it's well-received and a lot of people watch it, and people like it, they'll just do another one. I don't expect this 10-part limited series to end with Dexter dying. So whatever. But you know what? Even if, even if this was a just note, one, one and done, one 10-episode limited season and done, I'm still grateful because I never really thought we were going to get more Dexter. And I love it. I'm really bummed out that, you know, his his sister is dead in the show, so she can't come back. And the number of big characters that won't be able to come back. But you know what? That's fine. I love this character. And you know what? Honestly, in as much that I and probably a lot of you did not like the way the series ended, consider this. That ending, as much as we may not like it, that ending does, though, however, create a fantastic launching point for what this new series can be. Because launching back into it now, eight years have passed. He's been in self-exile. The world thinks he's dead. All this kind of, And he's been living this life as that lumberjack character, right? We may not have liked that way that ended the series. But as a starting point for a new season, eight years later... That's actually got a lot of potential. So I'm just looking for the silver lining here, okay, guys? I'm just looking for the silver lining. But I think this sounds fantastic. I loved this show. I cannot wait for it to come back. And here's hoping it's as good, even like 75% as good as those first number of seasons of Dexter were. Hell, I even like the last four seasons. Chew on that. I don't care if you disagree. I like the last four seasons. Not as good as the first few seasons, granted, and I didn't like the way it went. Still, I thought they were good, so suck it. But anyway, I'm glad Dexter's coming back. Question is for you guys. What do you think about that? Are you glad Dexter's coming back? Maybe you never watched the original series. Guys, this is a great opportunity for you to go back and start watching the original series. Go binge that crap, man. Anyway, leave your thoughts in the comments section below. 
All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, we're going to move into our live questions here in just a moment, our live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you guys want to send in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And thank you so much for supporting the show. With that down, guys, let's get into your live question, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with Jessica, who writes, Hey, John, you and Rob briefly mentioned The Boys Season 2 on the show Wednesday, and I was wondering what you love most about this season, and was there anything that didn't work for you? Thanks. Was there anything that didn't work for me? I, I Honestly, I don't know. When Even when anything started to happen that I didn't like, I eventually started to love it. For instance, Starlight and her mom, right? When they brought her mom back, I, I was just thinking like, haven't we already covered this ground with her and her mom last season? Do we really need to go into this again? But as it started to play, I'm like, okay, scratch that. I'm really liking this. You know what I mean? Um, then the stuff with at first butcher with his mom and dad. And then by the end, by the time that stuff ended, I was like, okay, no, I really like that. Honestly, maybe if I sat down for like an hour to think about it, I could come up with something that didn't work for me about this season. I really dug it. I really, really dug it. I'm really curious to see what happens to Maeve in season three, which is interesting because I thought I heard that the actress who plays Maeve, I thought I heard she wasn't coming back for season three. So I kind of assumed at some point Maeve would die in season two. But <clears throat> anyway, I just loved it. I love this show. Loved it. And honestly, right off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that didn't really work for me uh, with that. All right. Let's see. Next up, uh, Kevin, bad American kid writes, Hey, John, hope you can be my wingman today. See, there's this girl. Her name is Aaron. We've been going on a few dates and I think it's about time. I sealed the deal. We love movies. So I figured I'd ask her out here. Hey, Aaron, will you be my girlfriend? Well, listen, Aaron, obviously you've got a very uh, sophisticated, cultured guy there uh, who watches the John Campy show that says a lot about his character says a lot about him as a man that he does that. And I think it says a lot about you as a woman that you watch this show as well. So, um, yeah, I, there you go. He just gave you the pitch. Now let's see what he does in person. I hope it works out for you guys. Thanks for sending that in, Kevin. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hi, have you ever seen the 80s John Cusack movie Better Off Dead? It's been a while. That movie's like, what, 83 or... 84, 85, something like that. Um, have you ever seen the 80s John Cusack movie Better Off Dead? Rewatch this week after the death of Eddie Van Halen, who is kind of animated in the movie as a hamburger playing Everybody Wants Some. Um, yeah, that, you know, it's funny. That's a movie. We sometimes will talk about shows or TV shows or movies that you couldn't do today. Like a lot of people say you couldn't do The Office today. I disagree with that, by the way. I, I think the way The Office did all their humor, I think you could do that today because everybody understood the way. But at any rate, I don't know if you could do Better Off Dead today. I don't think you could make that movie today. Uh, and, don't, and I don't love the movie, but if I remember correctly, because this, like I said, this movie's like, 35, 36, 37 years old now. But anyway, so John Cusack gets dumped by his girlfriend and he decides that life isn't worth living. And it's kind of a series of things of him, try, of him failing of trying to kill himself, right? Not something we would laugh at a lot today. So I don't know if it's a movie you could be made today, as a matter of fact. But yeah, I haven't heard that one mentioned in a while. All right, Willow writes, 
Do you think there's a bigger divide nowadays between Best Picture winners and movies that are popular with the general audience? Or has that always been the case? Was Return of the King the last winner that was also a big cultural phenomenon? Um, yeah, right before that would have been Titanic. Like Titanic was, I mean, the biggest box office film of all time for a long time. Uh, that one best picture as well. Um, probably, but like, here's the thing though. What, uh, let's put it this way. Does what sells more chef Gordon Ramsay's beef Wellington or Big Macs, which gets sold more in America? Oh, well, by far, by exponentials of 100 or more, by far, Big Macs sell, right? Are Big Macs better than Gordon Ramsay's Beef Wellington? That's subjective. It's subjective. I would personally say no way in hell. <laughs> I would say there's no way in hell Big Macs is anywhere near... Gordon Ramsay's Beef Wellington. I only ever get to have it when I'm in Vegas and I go to his uh, restaurant called Steak that's in the Paris Hotel in Vegas. But that is Gordon Ramsay's signature dish. It's his Beef Wellington is his signature dish. But at any rate, uh, but what sells more? Oh, by a factor of 100 or more, it's, it's Big Macs. That doesn't mean Big Macs are better. Sometimes when it comes to movies, like there are things about movies that are just really appealing, but it doesn't mean they're super high quality, right? Like a billion dollars worth of us went to go see a couple of the really shitty Transformers movies, but it's got elements into in it that are just really appealing, right? Big giant robots, explosions, blah, blah. These things do not necessarily make a good movie, but they make something that appeals to us, me especially. And so we rush out to see them, but that doesn't make them beef Wellington. So, and by the way, I don't know if there's as much of a divide or if there's, uh, if there was even a bigger divide back in the day, but you also got to remember like today, there's like 15 times more movies per year made today than in a different era. Right. So it's a, it's a really different way of looking at it to me though. Popularity and quality are two completely and fundamentally different things. You know, uh, I never want like, look, if, as in the case of Lord of the Rings Return of the King, if the best, most popular movie that year also happens to be the highest quality movie that year, great. I have no problem with the most popular movie. Other than that, as a film fan, I don't want popularity to figure into it in the least, right? Like, I'm sorry. My my buddy Soul comes over. He's big into K-pop. And this, what, what's that big K-pop band? btm or btz or bt something bt bacon tomato and something i can't i don't know what the name of this k-pop band is maybe you guys can tell me in the stuff there and music is super subjective what are they saying everybody's saying it's bts music is super subjective it's super subjective i like some music that you guys would laugh your ass off at that i liked it i mean and you probably like some music that everybody else would laugh their ass it's bts is shit but anyway but they're super popular they're super popular. Would I rather hear BTS or, you know, some like really great true musician, like listen to some Eddie Van Halen. I would personally like to listen to some, some musical genius, not a corporately assembled boy band that's run by a corporation who individually, you know, anyway, now I'm going, now I'm going on a rant about something completely off the rails, but 
uh, popularity should never be one of the things that comes into question when discussing quality, right? You can have the most, something that completely lacks any popularity be the best thing. And you can have something that's super popular that's utter shite. But um, yeah, it is what it is. But so, but I don't know. I like, I remember talking to Scott Mance once uh, about, you know, the history of the Oscars and the fact that there were many, many years in Oscar history when like the, the film that was nowhere near popular won Best Picture. So I would have to more concede to him on that because I'm not really huge with the uh, huge and uh, 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 well versed in the depth of Oscar history per se. So there's that. All right. Next up. Uh, talking ass naked lunch. Have you seen or read naked lunch? I've seen it. That's the one with uh, uh, isn't it RoboCop boy? Isn't that, isn't that Peter Weller? Listen to that, if I'm not mistaken. I never read it, though. Never read it. Um, it was like with the bugs and everything like that. Uh, strange movie. Anyway, I think it's a masterpiece, albeit one that is extremely bizarre. It is a, that's a good word. That is the perfect word to describe that movie. Bizarre. It's a bizarre film. Seeing a literal arsehole barking orders left me traumatized yet wildly amused. That's one that I, I just remember watching. Now, granted, when did that movie come out? Holes, I actually have to pull this up. I want to know when this movie actually came out. Naked Lunch. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Naked Lunch, IMDb. Because it's it's a while. It's got to be like late 80s, early 90s. 91. Came out in 91. So it's about 30 years old, this film. I remember watching it and just kind of <laughs> declaring, yes, it was Peter Weller that was in it. Peter Weller. Ian Holm was in it as well. Judy Davis. Um, I just remember going, and unsurprisingly, it's a Cronenberg film, so no, no surprise there. But I just remember watching that and just thinking like WTF to myself a lot throughout it. I I don't know that I didn't like it, but I I know it just it was more strange than cool to me at the time. But I know a number of people that talk about the naked lunch very, very fondly talking. Yeah, so you're in good company. All right. The butt King writes, uh, what are your thoughts on Beavis and butthead? And do you think we'll ever see more episodes? I thought the show was an utter delight. I remember Mike judge put out a new season in 2011 and I'd love to see more. Uh, I also adore Mike judge. Yeah. Mike judge has done some very, very cool stuff. I've, I've office space is like one of the, there are a number of movies you can name that will just instantly put a smile on my face thinking about that movie. Office Space is absolutely one of those films. I just like the moment I think about that movie, I instantly grin. Instant, instant smile on my face when I think of Office Space. I love that. Um, Beavis and Butthead is an interesting one because I'm totally into that kind of stuff. But I was never really into Beavis and Butthead. I'm like, again, like I said, I'm totally into that kind of stuff. And I remember the first few things I saw of Beavis and Butthead, I remember thinking it was pretty funny, but for whatever reason, for me, the novelty of their shtick wore off pretty fast. I'm not saying it should have worn off, but for whatever reason, for my sensibilities at that time, it just kind of wore off to me. Like I thought it was really clever and really funny for a bit. And then it kind of wore off on me really, really quickly. But I, again, Beavis and Butthead, it's undeniable that they are like pop cultural iconic figures. Like everybody knows Beavis and Butthead and they survived like their popularity and the name recognition alone has survived generations practically at this point. Right. Uh, it, it didn't completely click for me, but it clicked for most people. And uh, so there's that. So you're not the only one. All right. Next up. We've got 
Uh, Tyrion Skywalker, who writes, thanks for this community. I love movies and discussing film helps me get through the day. I think that that's true for a lot of us, my friend. Uh, it's especially helpful now as I just found out my father has stage four kidney cancer. Oh, dude, that's awful to hear. Uh, please keep my family in your thoughts and prayers. Thanks again. Listen, and again, that's one of the things that I always talk about about when stuff like this comes up. One of the reasons movies mean so much to me personally and the, the fan community that surrounds movies is that they provide a desperately needed oasis at a lot of different times in our lives. And like I always say, it's not that our problems aren't there when we come out of that oasis, but hopefully when we do come out of the, that oasis, we're just a little bit more refreshed. We're just maybe have a slightly different perspective and we are maybe just a little more prepared to deal with the crap that's surrounding in our lives. And, and it's times like that. So all of our best thoughts and well wishes to you and your family, Tyrion. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Jerome Smith, the second writes, did you see the video uh, Entertainment Weekly put up with the cast of The Boys? I've heard of it, but I did not watch it myself. Uh, they talk about all the twists and spoilers from season two. Anthony Starr stated that he's been told two words about his character for season three, homicidal maniac. Not surprised. I mean, the ending of season two kind of, well, let's, let's face it. Uh, Homelander's body count is significant. Already, just through season one and season two. He loves to kill people. I mean, we see that right in season one. He enjoys killing people. He's just like, his whole day is about finding an opportunity. Oh, do I get to kill somebody right here where nobody else can see him? Great. He already homicidal maniac, but maybe they're going to notch it up a couple, a little bit more. But no, I did not see that video. I, I kind of wish that I did. All right. Hashtag save our cinemas. I like that hashtag rights. Hey, John, I work at a cinema in the UK and the short window then stream uh, has been very good to us. Example, recently we showed after, let me see if I can follow your wording here. Uh, I work at a cinema in the UK and the short window, then stream has been very good to us. Example, recently we showed after we collided and trial Chicago 7, two weeks before hitting Netflix. That's interesting. Cinemas need more content to survive. Are studios too greedy or short-sighted? The answer to that honestly is neither. The studios, now look, you know me, I am, I am a theatrical movie theater guy. Everybody knows that. I get criticized for being so pro theater. Uh, and I don't give a fuck. Criticize all you want, you losers. Anyway. Um, but this is a situation right now. This COVID pandemic has put everybody in a situation where they're all figuring, trying to figure out how to survive. How do we survive? And everybody is making choices based on what gives us the best chance to survive? That's the, guess what? Theaters are doing the same thing. Theaters are doing the same thing. And I, that's coming from a very pro theater guy, but there's not, there's no greed here. I mean, look, first of, first of all, every business is greedy. I don't care. I always laugh when people say, oh, that money, that movie was just a money grab newsflash. Here's a little ed education for you. Every movie ever made is a money grab. Every movie ever made is a cash grab. It's a business. People don't invest $10 million into a movie just to say, wow, isn't that a pretty movie? No, they invest $10 million in the movie because they want to make their money back and they want to make cash on top of it. It's a business, right? All businesses are greedy. Make no mistake about it. Unless you're a, for a, your nonprofit organization, which bless your heart if you are. But other than that, all companies are greedy. 
They all want to make money and they all want to make as much money as they can. They all are. Is this particular, it's an interesting question when, when we look at, is this particular situation an example of studio greed, I would say no. Studios are clearly greedy, as are theaters, as are everybody. But studios are clearly greedy, but this isn't an example of it. Um, they're just trying to figure out a way to survive. They fear that if they put their movies out into theaters right now, they're going to have a massive financial loss on those movies, as opposed to sitting back, crossing their fingers that theaters can survive until the pandemic is behind us. And then they, they can put their movies out in theaters and hopefully make money on them as opposed to losing money. They're simply making decisions based on survival. And as far as it's short-sighted, says who? One of the things that we've constantly talked about in this pandemic for the entertainment industry is the fact that right now we are in a situation where there is no playbook, right? There's no playbook right now everybody's winging it. It's not like every 15 years, the movie theater industry goes through a pandemic and this is how they've dealt with it in the past. There are no lessons like that. Everybody is trying to navigate this blind and everybody from the movie theaters, the studios, you know, uh, the organizations, everybody's just trying to figure out how do we best deal with this situation? How do we tackle this? How do we address this? How do we do this in such a way that we minimize how much damage we take? Would I do things the way theaters are doing things? In some, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Would I do things the way studios are doing things? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. But one thing I do realize and, and know beyond a shadow of a doubt is every entity involved in this crappy situation is all just trying to figure out how to survive. And, you know, we discussed, somebody brought up the phrase the other day on the show, something is better than nothing. And we discussed at length about how that's not true. Sometimes something is absolutely worse than nothing. You know, like you drop black widow right now black widow which prior to the pandemic was seen as a potentially not guaranteed but potentially a billion dollar film that movie was looked at as potentially a billion dollar film well wouldn't it be better just to put it out in theaters right now to get something no because you put it out in theaters right now it does what 200 300 million dollars in business they just lost out on $700 million. Now, I don't know about you. I can't suddenly wake up and think I had $700 million there and then all of a sudden it's gone. Boy, that would be a good problem to have. Anyway, um, uh, so that would be a monumental. So in a situation like that, something would actually be worse than nothing. Are they better off to hold on to it, hope that the entire industry can weather this, and then put their movie out in theaters and hopefully not take a $700 million loss. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. The point is nobody knows for sure what the right way to go is. So I really don't blame it. Like for instance, AMC, I thought it was a dumb idea for AMC to keep their doors open when Regal was shutting down. But I acknowledge that there might be some ways to look at that, that maybe it's possible to do it. So, Hey, even though it's not what I would have done, and I maybe kind of think, honestly, it's a dumb idea to keep your doors open right now. But I don't know that that's true. Maybe them keeping their doors open is actually the smart thing to do. And we won't know until later. We won't know until later. 
right? So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, crappy situation for everybody. It's a crappy situation for everybody. And I, we cannot get this in our rear view mirror fast enough. My friends, I cannot wait for us to get this all garbage in our rear view mirror. Uh, you know, uh, blessings on all of us. All right. Thanks for writing that in save our cinemas. Alan writes, Hey, John and crew, Jacob Batalone, who is a Filipino actor who plays, you know, Spider-Man's best friend in the new Spider-Man movies. I love Jacob Bart. He's a delightful personality. Uh, recently posted some pictures about his weight loss. Have you guys seen this, by the way? Anyway, and it got me thinking, do you think he has been told or has knowledge that his character is going to be the Hobgoblin in a future Spider-Man movie? No, I don't. I don't at all. But for those of you who have not seen this or followed this, let me bring this up here. Uh, Jacob, uh, uh, Bart, uh, there it is. Um, Bartrone, is that, is that how you say it? No, that's, am I looking up the right name? I'm not looking up the right name. Hold a second. Jacob, uh, Batalon. Okay. So for those of you who may not remember this let me see if I can get a bigger image of this. This is what Jacob from the Spider-Man movies uh, has looked like. Okay. I don't know if this is big enough. I'll try. Nope. That's not big enough. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Let me delete that and see if I can. Why did that suddenly start playing? Uh, let me see if I can get a proper picture of this up uh, that looks right. Okay, here's not a bad, this is not a bad one. This is not a bad one. Let's bring this one up. So here's a picture of Jacob, right? Jacob had, let's, let's be honest. He had been getting uncomfortably obese. Okay. I, I, I feel okay saying that. Look, I'm not trying to body shame Jacob Batalone at all, but at some point, some people get so big, you start to get worried about their health. And he was big in Homecoming, but in Far From Home, he got even bigger. And then I saw in some press tour stuff, he was starting to look even bigger. And it was just, again, it's not a body shame. It was just, I started to get really concerned about his health. I really did for the, for this kid. And then he recently put up pictures. Look at, the, look at him on the left and look at him on the right. He's just started posting pictures of himself on social media that he went through this dramatic weight loss. And one of the things he posted with it, he says, look, to all you guys who'd been, you know, posting to me and writing to me about your, you being concerned about my health, don't worry about it. I'm good. And he's clearly dropped himself a whole ton of weight, whole ton of weight. And he looks great. He doesn't look like Spidey's buddy anymore. But anyway, do I think this dramatic weight loss was because they told him, we're going to make you hobgoblin? No, I, I think it really was that he's a young dude who just realized that, hey, like, look at what happened to John Candy, right? Look at what happened to, to Chris Farley. Like, I, that, I can't be that. That can't be there. It's, it's not about I'm comfortable with myself at whatever size I am, but I want to be aware of my health. And it's okay to be heavier. But he was getting to a point that it was like I was just worried for his health. I was really starting to feel afraid for him. And uh, look what he did. Oh, my God. That ain't easy. Holy crap. What he did is not easy. It is not easy at all. And he did a terrific job. So, no, I just think this is really more about 
him taking charge of his health uh, and his future and doing that. I don't think this had anything to do with, uh, oh, hey, we're going to make you hot. I don't think so. That doesn't mean they can't use him in that sort of a villainous twist later. But I honestly do think and he says probably it's, it was about him getting a grip with his health. And I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. I love this guy. I think he's just one of the most charming dudes. And of course, because we have a Filipino family. Um, because we have a Filipino family, we're, we're all really uh, uh, excited about uh, him succeeding because he's Filipino. All right. Ryan Loner writes, when Doctor Strange first shows up in Spider-Man 3, so where is this Night Monkey I've heard so much about? Can I tell you, that is one of the best running gags in that movie is Night Monkey. And I am totally all for them continuing on with that gag in the new movie. I'm, I'm completely all for it as I open a new can of Zevia. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Uh, I, you can make the night monkey joke a thousand times and I'll laugh every time. I don't know why. A lot, most jokes, even the best jokes, if you run the joke more than a couple of times, I get really tired of it. You could have a night monkey joke every five minutes and I'll laugh my ass off. I don't know why. I just thought that was so great. Where's this night monkey? All right. Roman Bryant writes. I love Spider-Man 3, but it's flawed. Uh, I was talking about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3. If I had the power to fix it and was forced to use Venom, I would make Harry Osborn Venom to keep it as one villain and one cohesive story. I would also keep Emo Peter because I love that. Yeah, I hated the Emo Peter. I'm not going to lie. This brings up one of the biggest cop-out, dumbest excuses I've ever heard. You know, Spider-Man 3 is not a good movie. That's subjective. Some people like Roman quite enjoy it. And there are others who do as well. I really like the first couple Spider-Man movies. That was not a great movie. I didn't think it was a steaming pile of crap, but it was, to me, it was not a good movie. And I will often point out to people, it's like, look, Sam Raimi has bad days at the office and sometimes staying on one property for too long, you can lose a little bit of your creative edge. And then the dumbest excuse ever, people throw out there, well, well it wasn't Sam Raimi's fault. Well, he was the director. I give him all the credit in the world for the majority of his movies that are great, but the responsibility lies on his shoulders. He's the director of the film. You're, you're, you're the first one to take credit. You're the first one to take blame. Yeah, but, but it wasn't his fault because the studio made him put venom in. The, the studio made him put in venom. Okay. So make a good movie with venom. To which the reply is always, oh, yeah. So make a good movie with Venom. Go. Ven Are you saying Venom is so terrible of a character that no movie can possibly be good with Venom in it? No, Venom's awesome. Okay, so then they want you to make a movie with Venom as, as one of the central figures. Make a good movie with Venom as a villain. Go. I, I mean, I bring this up all the time because, you know, uh, Joss Whedon faced a similar situation with the original Avengers movie. Joss Whedon tells a story that Marvel, Kevin Feige stepped in and forced him to swap out a character. Joss Whedon didn't want to have Black Widow in his movie. He didn't want Black Widow in Avengers. He wanted Wasp. And he wrote his movie with Wasp and Kevin Feige, the studio, interfered and said, nope, you got to take out Wasp and you got to put in Black Widow. Okay. So he just made a good movie with Black Widow in it. And I also don't think the problem is that there's multiple villains. You can have, we've seen plenty of movies that have multiple villains and done fantastic. I mean, you don't want to get into 25 villains or anything like that, but we've seen many a movie with multiple villains and it turns out just fine. So uh, yeah, that's always been a big excuse to me, but even then amidst the flaws and the, the problems that people have with it, Spider-Man three still has its fans, man. It really does because all film is subjective and I'm glad you're one of them, Roman. I'm not. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be. So that's great. All right. Hayden Lee writes, 
Hey, John and crew. I'm writing this with no pants on. I went to the gym yesterday for the first time since COVID. Uh, 80 to 120 people packed in there and no masks required. Why can't we have theaters open with proper precautions? Ugh. Yeah, listen, I'll, I'll tell you what. I am all for uh, not gyms in Los Angeles haven't opened again, but gyms like one hour outside of town where Ann's family lives, they're open again. Now, look, I am all for not sealing your doors and putting on a hazmat suit and not moving until the, the pandemic's done. But you got to be smart, right? I want movie theaters back, but I don't want to go to a movie theater if you're going to fill it to 80% capacity and like not have masks required. No, that's just stupid. That's just dumb. Opening up gyms right now is dumb. I, 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 look, I'm sorry. Like, and I like going to the gym, but going to the gym right now is dumb. It's it's dumb. You want to go into an environment where people aren't wearing masks and they're all sweating over everything and everybody's breathing heavy and coughing and like, and you're packed. I mean, look, if you want to get a gym and you say maximum 10 people in here right now, eh, maybe, maybe there's, it's all about. There's, I've said this many times, there's nothing you can do, and I'm no doctor, but there's nothing you can do to guarantee you won't get or transmit the virus. But what we can do is take some common sense steps to minimize the risk. Going into a, like opening up gyms with a hundred people in it, all sweating over everything and breathing heavy and blah, blah, blah in a confined space. I don't know. That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem terribly bright to me right now. Again, I'm no doctor. I'm no doctor. But it doesn't seem like, a, like, for instance, I, Ann and I went out to a restaurant the other night, but it was outside. They had no tables were close to each other. They limited the amount of people that were in there. And in that environment, we felt fairly comfortable and safe. But I, I you know, I'm not going to go to a packed movie theater. I'm not going to go to a gym right now again maybe there's some things you can do in a gym to, but i don't know but that sounds like a nightmare that just sounds like a breeding ground hayden i hope you got out of there when you saw that i hope you got out of there when you saw that anyway uh sons of bitches writes we will sponsor you i'm assuming this is somebody pretending to be zevia we will sponsor you if at the beginning of your show you drink our zevia in the same way homelander drinks breast milk I don't know if I did that properly or not. Maybe I should put it into a bottle. Done. Half a million dollar sponsorship. We got ourselves a deal. All right. Adam Campbell writes, hey, John, any chance you'll make another cameo in Gordon Ramsay? Speaking of Gordon Ramsay, in Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, I was watching the show a few weeks ago when they interviewed customers at an Eagle Rock restaurant. That's right. They did an episode at a restaurant in Eagle Rock. Uh, who pops up? None other than Mr. and Mrs. Campia. Love your show. Yeah. We had a friend who had worked. Uh at one of Gordon Ramsay's places. And so when they were filming an episode of kitchen nightmares, uh, in our backyard, uh, Eagle rock, it's just part of LA. Uh, we got an invite to go and be at the big restaurant reveal. Like the, the whole, you know how the, all these shows go, right? They start with how terrible the restaurant is and then they fix everything and they have their big reopening with all the new stuff. We were there for the big reopening night. I got to tell you, the food was amazing. The food was amazing. But yeah, uh, you can tell when that episode goes through its syndication cycle because about once every four months, I'll get a whole bunch of tweets on Twitter or emails from people saying, 
I was just watching Kitchen Nightmares last night, and there you and Ann are. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're we're in an episode of Kitchen Nightmares. It was a good night. It was a fun night. Thanks for noticing, it, uh, Adam. But no, probably no chance we'll be on it again. Uh, but I did love the food. All right, the Wakandan Forever writes. Uh, where do we go? Uh, hi, John. I'm sure by now you have seen the Kanye West presidential campaign ad. If you need to get away, Wakanda is here. Uh, nice this time of year. Stay sane. Have a good one. You know what the funny thing is? Uh, regardless of of whatever political uh, affiliation, because, you know, I don't go into politics here. Um, whatever political affiliation you have, it is it is funny that the number, like they were just talking about how the number of visa requests Canada has received from Americans has been through the roof. Uh, the last little while, like uh, some people looking, at, I, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know. I don't care which political um, persuasion you fall on. I don't care. I really don't care. I don't care what political persuasion you fall under. Or who's, can we all agree the Kanye West thing is really stupid? Can we, can we agree on that? Can can we on the left and the right, can we all come together and, and and communally agree that the Kanye West thing is ass stupid? Can we all agree on that? Can we all hold hands over that, set aside all of our other differences for a second and just all agree on that? I think we can. I think it would make for a better world. All right. Uh, next up. Where are we at? Alexander the Mediocre, right? I like that name. Uh, my Egyptian friends hate Gal as Cleopatra, as she is a former IDF. Uh, apparently, Israelis and Egyptians don't like each other. Uh, they told me they would have preferred an American in the role and feel the movie isn't for Egyptians, but for the rest of the world. I, I don't care. I really don't care. And, and by the way, look, every Israeli citizen it's compulsory. If you're an Israeli citizen, you have a compulsory service time. You have to serve with their military. That's a compulsory thing. Um, and if what was for, for correct me on my history, if I'm not wrong, but I believe Cleopatra was like Greek, if I'm not mistaken. Like I could be wrong about that. I like I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a, a big expert on uh, on Egyptian history. I am not. I thought I remember hearing that she was Greek or something like that. Anyway, um, here's the thing. So I, I, I just don't know. Some people are saying, yes, she was Greek. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not. Whatever. Look, you guys have heard me talk about this type of situation before. And it is as true now as I've always thought it was. I don't care. I really don't. Actors are people who play characters they are not. Actors are people who play characters they are not. Like, I get so sick of hearing people going, why is that British guy getting the role of an American? How come an American can't play that? Who gives a f I don't care. It's an actor playing somebody that he's not. Why, why is that American guy getting the role of playing an Australian dude? It should be an Australian actor. Who cares? It's an actor playing somebody they are not. You, you think they went out? Do you think Robert Pattinson's from Transylvania? Did they, is that what they did? Is that what is that what the makers of freaking what's it called? Why am I free of Twilight? Is that the? Do you think that's what they did? Say, well, if we're gonna be authentic, we, we better go to Transylvania, and we better do some searching of the lore, and we better find somebody who maybe, if we could do a genealogical search, goes back to somebody who might have been rumored to actually be. We need a real vampire. If you're gonna play a vampire, you actually have to be a real vampire. Uh, you have to actually be somebody who drinks human blood. 
right? If you're going to, if you're going to cast a vampire, can't be somebody who's not a vampire. It's got to be somebody who's a vampire. I, I, I don't care. I don't care. Actors are playing somebody they are not. It's all it's like, now look, the way, the reason this becomes an issue for some people, it, because it crosses two separate issues. Normally, this Egyptian thing with, with uh, Gal Gadot is, is a separate thing, but normally it crosses with the fact that there are people groups out there who are underrepresented in movies and people groups who members of the, those groups have very few opportunities ever offered to them to play roles and things like that. So, hey, listen, if there is a role that is a character that represents one of these really underrepresented people groups, wouldn't that be a good opportunity to give the role to somebody from that underrepresented people group? There's a, there's an argument to be made for that. There is. I, I'm not discounting that, but I'm also not going to go into it in great depth right now. But there is an argument to be made for that. I'm just saying my basic attitude has always been, I don't care. I don't care. When Michael Clark Duncan was cast to play Kingpin, by the way, I thought he was a great Kingpin. And some people come, I don't care. I don't care. He's an actor playing a character, playing a fictional character. I don't care. But anyway, so uh, that's that's kind of my thing. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Let everybody be mad at each other. I generally don't care. All right. Owen writes, uh, Aaron, who is not here today, unfortunately, that's my, that's my fault. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Charmed. The chemistry on that show is amazing. Do you have any fun stories from set? You know that she, you know, she, Aaron has been in a lot of stuff. Very few things when I chat with Aaron and talk with Aaron about her career. Very few things does she mentioned does she mention as gleefully as her experience on Charmed. And I think really it's because even though she had played prostitute number two on Star Trek, um, not Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Enterprise. Um when she was on Enterprise, I think that was her first television spot. She played like prostitute number two in an episode of Enterprise. Even though that was her first thing, I think she looks back at, if I remember correctly, she looks back at her role on uh, Charmed as her first real big break. That was her first. And so she always speaks very, very fondly of that. I, w I do wish she was here right now so she could tell you the stories. But uh, I know she looks back very, very fondly at uh, at her experience with charm. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I, uh, I can't. I just can't. Right. My friends, Red Green, Sharon, Lois and Bram. We've got some Canadian uh, stuff in here. We're walking yesterday, walking their dog, the little hobo. It's the littlest hobo, by the way. Uh, and and other pet, the Pokeroo. After a stopover at Tim Hortons, they eventually arrived at an event where Don Cherry, that's Reverend Don Cherry and Ron McLean. We're speaking. You, you just packed as much Canadiana into one statement as you possibly could. Yeah, I used to watch po Pokeroo is a fictional character from a show, a Canadian kids show that I watched as a kid called The Polka Dot Door. And Pokeroo was kind of like, for those of you who are not Canadian, was kind of like the Snuffleupagus of, uh, of uh, Sesame Street, you know. Whenever Snufflepuff, nobody else was around to see it. Pokeroo was one of those characters that, you know, only one character ever saw and the other one didn't, right? The Pokeroo. 
Uh, oh my God, I still remember the theme song. The polka dot door, the polka dot door. Let's go through the polka dot door. There's songs and stories and so much more. I, th- I think that was it. Why am I remembering that? I don't know. Anyway, there's some heavy doses of some Canadiana right in there. All right, Froygon Jin writes, not sure what Jenkins has in mind for Cleopatra, but her vision definitely has Godot in mind. Maybe the role is more physical. I have faith in the collaboration. Maybe a decade from now, we'll see Godot uh, is to Jenkins what Schwarzenegger was to Cameron. Well, you got to understand, uh, this was, that isn't how this came about. When you go and read the story in The Hollywood Reporter, like, like many actors and actresses, Gal Gadot has her own little production company. Almost all actors and actresses do. And she's the one who pitched this. Like, she's the one who put this and, and got this whole thing together. So it's not that, um, it's not that Patty Jenkins came up with the idea, wrote out a script for it, and thought Gal is the one to play, Kea, play Kea, uh, to play Cleopatra. It was actually Gal who I think spearheaded this and wanted this done. And so she got her friend Patty Jenkins on board and whatever, and they put together a package and then started taking that package to the studios because Patty Jenkins has an in with every studio. And they took them around to all season. Paramount said, we'll take it and we'll, we'll put up this and we'll do this for it. And Paramount got the rights to do it. And so... Yeah, it, it wasn't that that Patty wanted Gal. I think it's more that like Gal wanted Patty. I it, again, go read the story in the Hollywood Reporter. But I think that's the order in which you. I I mean I don't know. Listen, I think tradition historically Gal Gadot is not a very good actress. But as I said on the show recently, we have seen her do over the past couple of years. All we can ask her to do, which is work hard and try to improve. And I think she's done it. Just just like um, uh, Magic Mike Boy, who used to be the worst in the business and got better and better and better to the point now, I really like, I look forward to seeing his movies. I think, do I think Gal is a really good actress? No, I still don't think she's a really good actress. But I think she's improved. I think she's gotten better. And hopefully continuing to work with directors like Patty Jenkins, continuing to work with directors like Kenneth Branagh, hopefully she'll continue to get better. And maybe she'll get to the point where like a movie of hers comes out like Magic Mike Boy, because now I'm like, oh my God, I want to see his movie. Now I'm thinking, hopefully we'll get to a point where she continues to get better and improve and gets better and better and better. Because remember, she really, when she got Wonder Woman, she had hardly ever been acting. She had hardly had any acting gigs, really. She had only been acting for so long and she wasn't very good, but she's gotten better and better and better. And uh, to the point now, like if you had announced this Cleopatra movie five years ago, I would have been, oh my God, this thing's going to be a disaster. But today I don't because she's worked hard and she she gets better. Every time I see her on screen, she's a little bit better than she was before. That's all you can ask. That's all you can ask. Uh, let's see here. But will they be the next? Uh, I, I don't know. Let, we've seen them make one movie together so far. Let's see how Wonder Woman 2 turns out. I hope it's awesome. I'm really looking forward to Wonder Woman 84, but I haven't liked the trailers. So that makes me a little bit nervous. Let's see how. Let's get past Wonder Woman 84 before we start. Uh, speculating about whether or not they're the next Schwarzenegger Cameron. All right, Chris Hunt writes, 
When physical media inevitably dies in favor of streaming, do you guys think VHS might ever make a comeback in the same way vinyl has, or is that too crazy a notion? I think it's too crazy a notion, and here's why. There's a massive fundamental difference between vinyl and VHS tapes simply in this, the simplicity of making vinyl. Making vinyl records is an infinitely simpler proposition than VHS tapes. I mean, just, just the physical entity, a record versus a VHS tape. It's just far more convoluted and, and far more complex and far more difficult to manufacture and make those things than say pressing a record, right? I, mean, I don't know how to press a record, but I'm saying for people who do know, it's an infinitely simpler process and less expensive process to do than trying to make VHS and even the players, a record player is an infinitely more simple machine than a VCR machine is. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think we're going to see uh, a return of that. I don't think we're going to see a return of that. All right. Next up, uh, Julius, a good one, but I have fond memories of VHS tapes, man. I saw my first porn on a VHS tape, found a VHS tape hidden away out, out in the woods and the day I became a man. Anyway, uh, Julius A. Goodwin writes and tips in $50. Thank you so much, Julius, for supporting the channel on that level, my friend. All right. Uh, Julius writes, well, it's official. I'm without a job as of yesterday. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Um, uh, mixed emotions all around. I'm exhausted, hopeful, kind of hollowed out. I loved my job. I think I remember you writing about this before. Uh, I love my job, but I didn't love working for the equivalent of your Jack Hines. Uh, could use a few kind words of inspiration. Listen, here's here's the thing. You know, I think we talked about this when you said you were you're going to be departing that job. It's you can never Remember how we were talking about Barbara Broccoli was saying that you can only be in love with one person at a time. You can only have one job at a time under most circumstances, under most circumstances, you can only have one job at a time. There are exceptions, but for mostly you can only have one job at a time. That job you were in, while I'm sure provided many positive benefits, was also the barrier holding you back from what your next thing is going to be. It is the barrier holding you back from what your next thing is going to be. Whatever that next thing you're going to be is you being in that previous job is what was keeping you from getting to that next thing. Right? It's like whenever we're talking to guys or girlfriends of ours who are in a bad relationship. And it's like, listen, there's somebody better for you out there, but the relationship you're in right now is the barrier that's blocking you from getting to a better relationship. Whether that's in six months or a year or two years from now, you're, you're, this is what's keeping you from that. And you're never going to get to that better relationship until you get out of this one. That's not good for you. You know? So, um, John Campia relationship advice here on YouTube. Um, so honestly, yeah. And listen, I've been in situations, dude, like I, I remember when I, there have been a number of big leaps of faith and you've heard me tell the stories before. There have been a number of significant big leaps of faith I've made um, navigating my career where it's like, I left this thing. And it's like, oh my God, now what do I do now? What do I do? And I end up in something that I enjoyed more. 
And then that, as great as it is, becomes the barrier to my next thing. And so, yeah, just look at us now. Your doors are open and you may not get to that next destination tomorrow or next week or whatever, but you're going to land somewhere. And when you do, you're only going to be able to have landed in that new spot because you got off of that last spot. And and that's how I would encourage you, my friend. All right, uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up, we've got Julius A. Goodwin also writes, also, if Miss Cummings is there and she's not, I've always wanted to ask, what do you consider your biggest or breakout role to date? It's almost like you heard me telling this story. I, I believe she considers Charmed to be her big breakout role. Like I said, she had a couple of smaller things before that, and I believe that Star Trek Enterprise episode was her first one. Actually, let me see. I'm gonna. She, she might hate me for this. Um, uh, Aaron Cummings, Star Trek Enterprise. I'm gonna see if I can find this picture. She's got. She'd probably hate me for bringing this up if I can find it. Um, is that it? Oh, I think this is it. Yes, this is it. Let me see if I can get it on screen here. I'm gonna see if I can get this on screen. I don't know how big or small it is. But I believe this is her. Yep. In an enterprise thing called Carpenter Street was the name of the uh, I think that was the name of the episode. Was that the name of the episode? I think so. Let me see if I can get back to that picture. There it is. There's Aaron. There's Aaron as prostitute number two approaching the main character. Like the main character of the episode is in the car and he's about to be approached and have this conversation uh, with this uh, with prostitute number two. And having a very deep, almost Shakespearean-like conversation with the character in the car. Um, but yeah, that that was her first one. But I also believe, let me see if I can find a picture of her from Charmed. I, I don't know if will be able to. Is there one here? Yes. Oh, she's, oh my God, this picture. Hold on a second. Let me bring this picture up. This is Aaron in Charmed. This was Aaron and Charmed. I love this. <laughs> that, that is the Charmedification version of Aaron Cummings, ladies and gentlemen. That's the Charmedification version of Aaron Cummings. It's a great picture. But that is clearly an outfit from Charmed, right? So, But I do believe she considers that to be... Um, I do believe she considers that to be a... Uh, what her breakout role was. I think that's the one that really got her foot in the door and started opening up opportunities. And now she's been in like 20 different shows and had a number of movies. And it's like, but I think that's what the one that she considers to be uh, the break that she had. All right, let's move on. James Hardy writes one of two. Hi, John and crew over under 50% that either on the big screen or TV, they try to reboot the dark tower story in the next five years. I believe they're doing it right now. Like I, I think it's actually happening. I, I think they even, didn't they just do it? What am I thinking of? Didn't they just do a trailer for that? Hold on a second. Didn't they just do a trailer for this? Yeah. Yeah. I think they just did one for like TV. Did they not? What, what, what is the one they just did? What was the, the thing they just... Oh, that's the stand. Yes, yes, yes that's the stand. That is the stand. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Listen, there was plans for doing like a Dark Tower universe sort of thing. So I believe they're doing that. 
I, I, yeah, so anyway, I, I just think it's something that's already being done. Uh, and with the likes of Dune and Lord of the Rings being brought back to cinema and TV, I really hope that this project can be brought back. I, I think there are already plans in the works. If not, that it's also doing it. Um, I, but look, there were plans to do an incorporated TV universe of the movie. Those plans, if I'm remembering correctly, got shelved. But I also think it wasn't killed completely. I still think there. I think the people who have the rights to it right now are still looking at doing that. So yes, I, I do believe at some point it will be. Whether or not there's actually something in motion right now, I can't remember. There's too many crossing streams here. So much, uh, so much material out there at the moment, um, and and so much Stephen King specific stuff that's out there at the moment. But uh, yeah, if there's not already something cooking which I won't be surprised if there is something cooking already. I, yeah, it's just the type of IP that would automatically kind of find a home. Um, okay, let's see here. Next up, uh, Damo Davies writes, what is it with Canadian ladies being the best women to play Lois Lane in live action? Margot Kidder is the best cinematic Lois Lane we've had, and Erica Durance is the best small screen Lois we have had in Smallville. Your thoughts? Uh, listen, there's just a lot of Canadian. First of all, if you go through all the CW shows, there's a lot of Canadians because they shoot almost all of them in Canada. But even the MCU is now completely uh, filled with Canadian, like Simu Lu, right? Jose, um, Simu Lu is is our new um, is our new Shang Chi, right? Filled with Canadians, Evangeline Lilly is our wasp big canadian the new miss marvel kamala khan is a canadian actress um the the mcu is filled with canadians it's it, the canadians truly are invading it is the canadian invasion and yes um do i believe margo yeah margo kidder is the best on-screen lois lane she just kind of embodied lois lane so much i i loved her lois lane i like uh, erica durance's lois lane as well by the way not really the true comic representation of of lois lane but i liked her lois lane a lot as a matter of fact all right next up casey mcnatt writes Hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you, Casey. Hope you're doing well. I feel like revivals can one or two ways. It can either suck, was not great, or it could actually be good. Well, isn't that the true, true, <laughs> true of any movie? <laughs> it could not be good or it could be good. Isn't that true of every movie? Or it could actually be good. I don't know how I feel about this, but if it means Dexter gets a better ending, I am all for it. Yeah, listen, as far as the Dexter thing, I think this is fantastic. And I think them doing this new season, uh, season redeems that ending. Again, I'm like everybody else. Even though I like the last number of seasons, I do. I think they're all good. But the last couple of episodes, the way they ended the season, I thought was quite poor. So I'm with everybody else on that. But again, if you really think about it, the way that ended, it is a perfect launching point. It is a utterly perfect launching point. For eight years later, it give, it puts us in a great position. It really does. So maybe this new season can actually redeem the ending of that one. So we'll see. I Again, the fact that Michael C. Hall is there, the fact that they're bringing back the original showrunner, I think this bodes very well. And the fact that they've had a lot of years to plan this, I, I think it bodes very well. Look, it could go south. It could suck. But I've got high hopes for it. All right. DJ Riley writes. 
Hey, John, here's my top 10. Number one, Empire Strikes Back. Number two, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Number three, Shawshank Redemption. Number four, 1917. Number five, Godfather Part Two. Number six, Inception. Number seven, Aliens. Uh, Number eight, Independence Day. Number nine, Marriage Story. Number 10, Knives Out. Love the show if Aaron is still here. Hey, Aaron, Aaron's not here today. That's a nice, there's some really good films on that list. You got to have some Godfather in there. You got to have some Shawshank Redemption in there. Got a little bit of comic book movies in there. You got some sci-fi in there. Nice list, DJ. Well done, my friend. All right. Next up, James Argento writes, with MCU Spider-Man 3 starting to film under the working title Serenity Now, by the way, that's not confirmed. That's not verified confirmed. Anyway, do you think Sony MCU will release the title soon or wait uh, to first trailer like MCU did with Endgame? Uh, the new internet rumor, probably wrong, is Spider-Man Homeworlds. I, I, I don't know when they'll really... Look, we're so far off from that movie. Uh, by the way, there's some rumors going around that they've started shooting because somebody took a picture of a filming notice of something called Serenity Now. And the assumption that everybody's assuming is that, but I believe Tom Holland, I could be wrong, but I believe the shoot, they have not wrapped shooting on Uncharted yet. If I'm not mistaken, could be mistaken. So don't, don't take that to the bank. Uh, but it might be Spider-Man and it might not be. Bottom line is we're so far away from this movie coming out. Ultimately, though, honestly, I don't care. The title of a movie is completely useless. It, it, a, a title of a movie means nothing. It means nothing. The title of a movie does not make a bad movie good, and it doesn't make a good movie bad. Uh, so I really don't care. I really don't care. Uh, whether it's called Homeworlds, which, hey, that, that would fit. Homeworlds would fit. Whether it's called Homeward Bound, whether it's called Home Slice, whether it's called, I don't know, home base, whether it's called uh, whatever. <laughs> and by the way, there's nothing that said that guarantees they have to have home in the title, right? But whatever it is, it's irrelevant. It really doesn't matter. Uh, they could call it Spider-Man Shooby-Doo Shit Show, the movie. It won't, it doesn't make a difference. Now watch, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a copyright notice from Sony saying, how did you find out it was called Spider-Man Shooby-Doo shit show? How did you know? Stop saying it. That's our copyright and title. You watch. That's actually going to be called it. Spider-Man 3 Shooby-Doo shit show. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Makes no difference. It's completely pointless information. Doesn't matter. It just, at, at that point, we'll know what the title is. And so we'll know what to refer to it as. But uh, I have no idea when they're going to release the title. And I really don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. I mean, obviously, if they come out with the title, go, oh, okay. So there's a title. Interesting. But I, I, I really don't care if they release the title tomorrow. I don't care if they release the title five minutes before the movie opens in theaters. I just, I just don't care. All right. Uh, I'm Batman writes. I'm wanting to try Zevia and want to know what flavors should I test out? I would start off with their with the 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 general standard cola flavor. Uh, then I would go root beer, but yeah, I'm 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 quite partial to the cola flavor thing myself. Zevia, you better sponsor me. I'm selling more product than anybody else at your company. All right. Uh, let's see here. Sam P writes, and let me know what you think of it, Batman. Uh, Sam P writes. Uh, firstly, sponsor me, you sons of bitches, would make a great slogan for merchandise. Secondly, you know what? That would be a good, a John Campia show shirt that says sponsor me, you sons of bitches. That's not a bad idea. I should, pro- I should probably get on that. Uh, secondly, when you started your channel, did you expect it to have such uh, a global outreach? I've noticed a lot of global fans, including myself being from the UK. Amazing. I'll tell you what. No, it's not really 
where I did get that sense of surprise was really back in the movie blog days, back when I was doing the movie blog. And particularly when I started the world's first movie podcast, uh, the movie blog audio edition is what it was called. The term podcast hadn't even been coined yet when I started the movie blog audio edition. And we were the world's first movie related podcast. I particularly with the podcast, I was amazed when I started looking at the analytics because the podcast one gave me some better analytics and seeing people from Germany and Sweden and Italy and London and, you know, Korea and whatever, like people from all over the world. And that's where we coined the phrase international friends. Like when we saw, I remember seeing the, those statistics and I think the next show we started saying, hello, international friends. And I think that's when we started saying that. And so it, it didn't surprise me once I started the YouTube channel that that was the case, but I, cause I had already been surprised by that. It is crazy how many people from all over the world uh, watch these internet shows together, right? It's, and it's amazing. And I, that's one of the things that I love about having our community of international friends as we gather around to talk about our favorite things in the world. I just love it. Thanks for that, Sam. All right. Next up, Lloyd writes, um, Hey guys, I'm currently off working in another city miles away from home, my family and my five month old daughter. And I'm really homesick that I, I can imagine. Uh, but every evening I watch you live. So you guys are my closest thing to home. Thanks for that. Best wishes from Germany. And well, a couple of things right in there. Number one, there's our international friends. Number two, again, you know, it's, it's just great movies and the fan community that surrounds them is just a great oasis, Right. And I'm not going to lie to you. Every time I watch a Star Wars movie, I feel like I'm at home. And when I say home, I mean Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, out at the Campia Ranch, uh, where, where my family is. I feel like I'm at home. There's just something about that. I feel like I'm at home when I do. And so hopefully, because it's also part of that ritual, if you will. And if, you know, taking parts of what your rich, your home life ritual is, if you can take that with you and that can be in the form of movies or the fan community that surrounds them, that's great. So I hope you're able to get through this stretch, Lloyd, and get back to your family just as soon as you can. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next up. Tobias is a never nude writes. Have you seen the new poster for the Lego? Oh, I have. Have you seen the new poster for the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special Disney? It's awesome. Also, Billy D. Williams, Kelly Marie Tran, and Anthony Daniels have been added to the cast. So for those of you who don't know, let me see if I can bring this up. Um, Star Wars Lego Holiday Special Poster. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it that easy. Um, oh, and there it is. There it is. Let me bring it up here on screen. So this poster is killer. Uh, let's, let's just talk about this poster for a second. It says, there's a little Lego hand. It says, to Luke from your father. And it's a hand with a bow. That's that's just utterly brilliant. That is just utterly brilliant. Anyway, so those of you remember, a while ago they announced they were going to be doing a Lego holiday special. Of course, the most infamous thing in the history of Star Wars is the Star Wars holiday special, right? Like one of the most abominations against nature things in history was that special. So they announced a while ago, they're going to be doing a Lego holiday special. I don't think they're going to be recreating the original holiday special so much as they're doing something in that vein in the spirit of it. But on top of this incredible poster, 
They also announced that Billy D. Williams is going to be doing his voice. Kelly Marie Tran is going to be doing a voice. Anthony Daniels is going to be doing. I, so I don't know who else is. Maybe look at everybody. Maybe they won't. Um, but yeah, I mean, there it is. Again, the poster is brilliant to Luke from your father. I just, I, I laughed out. I was alone in the living room when I came across that this morning, I got an email from Disney's PR people really early. And, uh, I looked at that and I just started laughing out loud. I couldn't believe how clever that was. I think that's great. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. James Argenta writes, Similar to how the seven is the boys version of Justice League, Payback is the Avengers of the world of their own version of Iron Man, Ant-Man, Vision, and Scarlet Witch. And spoiler, we could finally get Tom Cruise um, as the boys Iron Man. I don't know if I believe that, but really, they haven't officially given us any real thing. I, I don't think Kripke, unless I miss miss something, which happens, maybe I missed something, but I don't think Kripke has revealed anything about Payback other than the fact that they were his superhero team, Soldier Boy's superhero team. So I don't know. We'll have to see. It is neat, though, seeing them incorporate now Marvel archetypes because the seven is basically all Justice League archetype rights, uh, archetypes. Homelander is Superman. Maeve is Wonder Woman. A-Train is the Flash. The Deep is Aquaman. Black Noir is kind of, uh, he's more than that, but kind of a black, uh, 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 Batman uh, figure. Um, so it would only make sense that they then let's do a Marvel archetype and a, a Captain America is a way to start. Maybe his other team will do that. I don't think that's official though. Again, unless I miss something, if some of you guys know of that, please do send me a link. That would be great. All right, let's move on. Um, Michael Antonucci writes, while I see your point, and I think it's very likely, I am still optimistic that Wonder Woman 84 will still hit that Christmas Day release, especially if Free Guy or Death on the Nile keeps those dates. Okay, first of all, I'm with you. I I desperately hope it keeps that date. I do. I 100% hope it keeps that date. Number two, yeah, if Free Guy and Death on the Nile are able to keep their dates, which I also highly doubt, but if they are, that bodes very well for Wonder Woman getting its release. That bodes very well for it. But again, I don't think it will. I don't think death. I don't think. Uh, I don't think Free Guy is going to come out in theaters. I, I just don't think. Uh, not now. I don't think it's going to come out in theaters on its rele current release date. But if it does, that bodes very well for Wonder Woman eighty four. It's not impossible that Wonder Woman eighty four could keep its release date, but a number of big things have to happen including Regal has to reopen their theaters. Um, I just don't see it happening. I, I hope, I hope they do. And it's not impossible. There is a chance. And I hope you're right, Michael. I desperately hope you're right. Cause I would love to go see that movie. All right. Mr. Graham 91 writes, are you getting anxious for the ending of supernatural? I've watched this show for half of my life and it's almost like, I won't know. I won't know life without it. dude. I am. I'm, I'm with you. This show has been around for a third of my life. I mean, I, it, it's hard for me to remember a time when I wasn't watching Supernatural. It's been 15 years. It's hard to remember a time that I wasn't watching Supernatural. It's, it's crazy. I was watching. I had already been watching Supernatural for a couple of years before I even came to L.A. I mean, is that so? Am I feeling anxious about it? No. I think I will once I get to the final episode. I think then I will. Uh, but right now, I just, the last episode I watched was with Mrs. Was her name? What was her name? What was the wood nymph's name? Was it Mrs. Butters? 
I think it was, was it Mrs. Butters? Was that the character's name? How good was that episode? That was a delightful episode. I was an absolutely, if you guys know what the name, I think it was Mrs. Butters. I can't remember for sure. Uh, you guys are saying in the live chat that yes, it was Mrs. Uh, that was a delightful episode. Like when they came home after the one hunt and she had decorated it all in Christmas decorations and baked cookies. And Dean is like, oh, we're keeping her. We're keeping her. <laughs> like it's just uh, so great. But I'll probably feel anxious once we get to the last one. All right, guys. Final episode, final question of the day. It is crazy how much fire, faster we get through this um, uh, when uh, when it's just me on the show. Final question of the day comes to us from Jesse who writes, okay, John, I've heard so much praise for the boys that I'm really interested in checking it out. The problem is I don't have prime video. So would you say that the boys is worth the subscription price? I think it's like $10 a month for prime video. Your your thoughts. I don't, can, can you, is there, listen, I'm just an Amazon prime member. See, that's the one thing that makes Amazon prime very distinct from a lot of the other, you know, subscription services is that I have Amazon prime, but I don't have it for the video service. I have it so I can get my free Amazon deliveries so I can get free two day shipping. Cause I heard a lot of crap and that's why I have prime. And as an extension for having two-day shipping, I also get Amazon Prime, right? So I don't know if there's a monthly thing like that. I I just, I simply don't know the answer to that. The basic answer to your question, though, is, is the boys worth it? Yes. But beyond that, there's some other incredible stuff on Amazon Prime. Like, like even if you just go to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, that show that's won like 5,000 Emmys, whatever, so good. It's so good. But yeah, even if it was just the boys, I would say it's worth having, at least for a while until you get through it. It's worth having. But again, the Amazon Prime video service to me is actually just the added bonus to just being a Prime member because I get it for the, uh, for the delivery stuff. All right, guys. That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Special thanks to all of you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, because you supported this show as you did it. And all of us here involved with the show. Thank you guys very, very much for that. Don't forget the John Campia show. will be back again tomorrow with me and Robert Meyer Burnett. Aaron will be back again next week. If she doesn't kill me for bringing up those pictures. And I hope you guys will be back here as well. Once again, guys, just a quick reminder. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber subscriber to the John Campus Show YouTube channel and keep up to date with all the stuff that we've got going on here. All right, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.